0: Our scripture reading today comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 26 to 56. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went with her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favoured that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord will fulfil his promises to her. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. Amen. This is the reading of God's Word. Well, we're going to find out more about that passage and what it has to say to us today. And uh, I'm going to hand over now to David Meredith uh, and he's going to speak uh, from this passage and help us to see what God might say to us personally through it.
1: Hi, I'm David. I'm one of the preaching team here at Cornerstone, and it's good to be with you again just to open up God's Word and see what God has to say to us. So um, this morning we're looking at Luke chapter 1. This is the second Sunday in Advent. Our, our big theme these last few weeks and the next few weeks will be hope and darkness. And hope is certainly a, a big issue just now. I've just had a quick crawl through the net to see what folk are saying about hope and the big headline was that uh, Trump's hopes for winning the election were dashed by COVID-19. There's another thing that says that uh, the UK vaccination programme is looking good, and we are hopeful because the UK has got a great record in vaccination. And so we come here to to Luke chapter 1. Luke is, is a doctor, and he's given an account of the life of Jesus Christ, and it's certainly a chapter of hope. I don't know what your views in, on the Bible are, if you read the Bible much, but the Bible really is a electrifying book in, in many ways. There was a famous uh, Bible translator called J.B. Phillips and he sort of translated the Bible into a more modern version from the old authorised version and he used a very interesting phrase. He said that working through the Bible, was like rewiring an old house while the current is still switched on because there was just that sense of, of a life of life and, and you'd come to things that you just didn't realise um were there and you get a sense here even in chapter one that this is a big chapter there's, there's tension uh, you read there for example in verse 27 God sent an angel, so every day the angels turn up uh, verse 27, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. Again, the context was that a virgin, of course, just a, a different word word for a young girl. So this is someone that you would not expect to be the hero in the story in any way. On the power trajectory, young girls were really at, at the bottom of the rung. They they had no power and yet we see here a hint that something extraordinary and something amazing is going to happen. Uh, so the angels turn up with with a promise, and the promise is really quite astounding, that she's going to give birth to a son, and you're going to call him Jesus, and he will be uh, great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. So just think about that for a moment. This unknown peasant girl from Nazareth, in the middle of nowhere, is going to bear the Son of God in a most extraordinary way. You cannot beat the Bible for a sense of drama. It's the tales of the unexpected. You just don't know what's going uh, to come next. And so we have here the the reality of the virgin birth. The the virgin birth is not just a a motif. The virgin birth is not just a kind of fable or, or a story it is um, the ultimate hope from that which is impossible and so we see the bigger picture here of hope don't we that from uh, a situation that seems to be medically scientifically biologically impossible god takes from that a picture of hope and indeed not just hope but the greatest person to give hope ever that is the lord jesus christ there are are where 108 billion people born in the planet since its origins, uh, bit of useless information, 7% of those are alive at the present time. So of that 108 billion people, there was only ever one virgin birth. Now folks say, well, you look at this story and, and it must have been told to gullible people. Do you think they didn't know the facts of life? Do, do you think that they didn't work out, um, you know, where babies came from? Remember, Luke was written by a doctor. The, the New Testament characters were not fantastical, out-of-touch people. They were just ordinary folk. Matthew was, was a tax collector. Um, they, were, they were just ordinary folk, soldiers, carpenters, just folk like you and folk uh, like me. And so, this morning, as we look at the passage, and if you've got your Bible in front of you or your phone app open, as we look at Luke 1, verses 26 onwards, I just really want to uh, ask two questions. Uh, Question number one is, did it happen? Is this account here credible? And secondly, does it matter? Well, first of all, then, we ask the question, well, did, did it happen? If you look at the beginning of Luke, it's quite interesting. Um, Luke says, with this in mind, Luke chapter 1 verse 3, with this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account um, for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may the, may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. So we see that the purpose of writing Luke's gospel is that so this guy called Theophilus and generations to come will know the certainty of the things that were written. The Bible is not like Aesop's fairy tales. It doesn't begin once upon a time. It begins with dates. It begins with places. It begins with people. All of these things are uh, verifiable and indeed Luke. Uh, Certainly, from hints we get in uh, verse 19 and verse 51, where we read that Mary pondered all these things in her heart. Luke had spoken to Mary, Uh, he had interviewed Mary about this situation. What's the point of this? The point is that Christianity is a historic faith, it's based in a timeline, it's based in a context. And it's based on facts. It's not a a philosophy that makes us feel good. Uh, It's not a metaphor. It's not one of the kind of uh, Mithra and Dionysian cults that were standard uh, at the time of the New Testament. And take this also, we're asking the question, you know, did it happen? Look at the broader context. Luke here is trying to convince a particular group of people um, of the reality or of the truth of these things. What's the word? The certainty of the things that you've been taught. And so he's trying to persuade a group largely of conservative Orthodox Jewish people. If you were going to convince a group of people, you would not start with a story of an unmarried girl who has a baby, that would have been shocking to the original audience, and so that that curved ball, that you know, revealing of something that the early uh, readers would would have been not only shocked by but frankly offended by, shows that Luke is not you know hiding it. He's not making stuff up here. He is telling it as it is. So. The fact that there was no human father here uh, provoked outrage. It provoked outrage then, and it even provokes cynicism and outrage now. Did it happen? We're talking here about a virgin birth, uh, a birth without the normal biological process. And remember, you know, here at Cornerstone, we often... Uh, you know, say the creed. And in that creed we, we state specifically that Jesus was born of a virgin. Is it important? There's a, a reasonably well-known Scottish theologian called Donald MacLeod and he wrote this. He said that the virgin birth is posted on guard at the door of the mystery of Christmas and none of us must think of hurrying past it. It stands at the threshold of the New Testament, blatantly supernatural, defying rationalism, informing us that all that follows is following the same order. And if we find it offensive, there's no point proceeding any further. And so at at the threshold of, of Christmas, at the doorpost of the whole New Testament, there is a blatant supernatural act and as MacLeod says you'd better start getting used to that if you read the New Testament if you engage with Christianity because it's a supernatural situation and remember most people's faith journey does not end at the virgin birth they move on did it happen absolutely and, and it happened because we have a supernatural God and even perhaps this morning uh, as as you sit in our house, there's something supernatural going on. The, the fact that you know you are here that we're all together this, this is not random. this is part of a purpose. And so what we're seeing here at the very outset that, that gives us hope is this idea of the virgin birth. So we've asked then, did it happen? I guess the second question is, does it matter? <laughs> there are some things in Christianity, some things in the world of church that don't really matter all that much. Whether the preacher wears robes, whether he makes wears a cord tie, whether he wears a Hawaiian shirt, it's, it's really not of the first importance christians disagree about baptism should we baptize adults should we baptize babies well yeah it's important in its own way but it's of a different order to this does it matter absolutely and we're about to see how you'll notice in in luke chapter one there's two miraculous conceptions there is the better known one here obviously of the um, virgin birth through Mary but from verse 39 onwards there's a second one Mary's cousin uh, also had a supernatural intervention and uh, she gave uh, birth to John the Baptist. Supernatural in, in, a, in a different way obviously to the virgin birth here but certainly we find here that God is involved in this situation and so this is a, a wonderful story. Gabriel enters this, this angel uh, appears to the Virgin Mary and he tells her a story. And this happens in a nowhere place in the middle of, of nowhere. That's a point right away that there, there are no nowhere places. There is nowhere that is unimportant. Uh, you think of various places in Scotland that nobody gives a second thought to Uh, nobody gives a second thought to you know campus land nobody gives a second thought apart from neil neil mcmillan to kirkody nobody gives a second thought to i don't know port seaton or or somewhere like that they're not big places and yet it's to a simple girl and an ordinary place that god reveals something amazing no ordinary people no Ordinary places, but you you read here, you know this angel comes with a message, and it's a message of great verse twenty eight. You're highly favoured. The same word is used in Ephesians one six to speak about the free bestowal of God's grace. So God shows grace. God shows favour. But notice that the reaction. The reaction was verse twenty nine. Mary was greatly troubled at his words. Now, I think that's significant also, that that God's grace can be unsettling. Even God's good things, God's challenge to us, isn't always kind of sweetness and light. It can be unnerving. It can be unsettling. It can even take us to the very edge of trouble. Mary was greatly troubled at his words, and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Sometimes we we wonder about blessings. Remember, uh, Churchill, of course, Churchill uh, famously brought Britain through the Second World War and was dramatically dropped by the British public. He lost the election subsequent to the Second World War. And his wife, Clementine, said to him, you know, Winston, it may be, blessing in disguise and he famously said some blessings some disguise sometimes it takes a while to to work out the blessings of God because they don't initially appear to be all that wonderful and great blessings and so to Mary she was taken aback here about being the chosen one but what Gabriel tells us here Unpacks our second question, why does it matter? So let's follow uh, what Gabriel is saying here, and, and we we'll know there's one or two reasons why it matters. Track with me here. Look at verse 31, uh, and you notice first of all there his name. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. Now, the name jesus is so well known it's part of our our culture even you know non-believers know the name jesus uh and the name jesus means you know it's yeshua it means god saves uh and so that's why it matters because jesus is primarily a savior um he he is an example sure he he's a great example Um, he's an example of steadfastness, he's an example of uh, kindness to the poor, he's an an example of wisdom, he's a teacher, he's he's a philosopher, he's the greatest teacher ever, he's the greatest philosopher who who ever lived. There's no doubt about that, but primarily he is a saviour, and it's in his role as saviour that folk find the most challenging and in this time in which we live where we need hope it is jesus as savior uh, that we need most Uh, this brings us to the heart of the human condition what is the secular trinity someone said that the secular trinity is politics entertainment and education These these are the things we we look at. Certainly in in the Western world, in the majority world, there would be different priorities. But in the Western world, we we look for politics to save us. Politics is big just now. It's the talk of a steamy. Folk are debating all the time. You know, folk are looking for political solutions, entertainment. You know, folk are really enjoying the various glamorous entertainment things that go on. Education, folks say, well, cleverness, inventiveness will, will take us out of all sorts of problems. But, yeah, there is the secular trinity. But behind the secular trinity, it does not address the main need of the human condition. So Gabriel comes and says, your son is going to be called Jesus. Jesus means God saves. Um Mary ought not to be afraid because this child will be our saviour. Saviour. That word is not uncommon today. Again, I was trawling through the newspapers and I was looking for a contemporary use of the word saviour. And I came up with one. Dolly Parton. Yes, Dolly. of 95. Dolly Parton has given $1 million to uh, Vanderbilt University, Nashville. And of course, Vanderbilt partnered with uh, Moderna that has developed the Caverna 19 vaccine. So in the US, Dolly is being portrayed as the COVID-19 savior. Now Dolly Parton has done great works in literacy in Tennessee, for example, phenomenal work there. Uh, she's generous, she's given a million pounds to, to Vanderbilt, the COVID-19 saviour. But behind all that, there is a saviour. We're looking for a messiah. We've got the what some philosophers call the Gandalf complex, looking for a wise figure, looking for someone to take us through this situation. In Jesus, we have that figure. In Jesus, we have the Messiah. We cannot overclaim what Jesus claims to be. And Gabriel comes to her. Why does it matter? Because you are going to give birth to the Savior. So that's the first thing we notice. That's why it matters because of His name. He is a Savior. The second thing why it matters is in verse 32. We see His name. Secondly, we see His greatness. He will be great. These simple words, he will be great. Now, um, we, we often overuse words, but Jesus is <laughs> great. Um, it, it, it's a big word. Um, he's great because of his life. He's great because of his death. He's great because of his, his resurrection and his ascension. The Bible claims really quite extraordinary things for Jesus. Um, There's a verse in Colossians that says that Jesus is the heir of all things. And one writer said to us as, as Christians, he says, don't be ashamed of Jesus. He says, if you're ashamed of Jesus, it's like a candle being ashamed of the sun. No claim can be too big for Jesus. There is no one greater. What what excites you? He made it. What makes you wonder? He's behind it. What idea stimulates you and think, wow, that is out of this world. He conceived it. He is the heir of all things. He is behind all things. He will be great the great one we've seen his name we've seen his greatness thirdly notice his status look at verse 32 there he will be called the son of the most high and so that developing human fetus within mary in nature being essence function as god the fullness of god is found in jesus (laughs) it's christmas what's it all about i love um, the christmas carols and kind of one of my favorite ones is the one that is a question who is he in yonder stall at whose feet the shepherds fall "'Tis the Lord, O wondrous story! "'Tis the Lord, the King of glory! "'At his feet we humbly fall. "'Crown him, crown him, Lord of all.'" The God who made the universe is contracted to be this fetus. That's his status. He is God. He is worthy of adoration. He is worthy of worship that's why the wise men that's why the shepherds spontaneously without any prompting whatsoever just fell at his feet and worshipped him but then we notice something else here we notice fourthly his background verse 32 he will be great he'll be called the son of the most high the lord god will give him the throne of his father david now again from a jewish perspective there was looking after the looking uh, for the messiah the long-awaited one the one who would be the ultimate david king david was the greatest of all the israelite kings it was under king david's reign that the expansion of israel was at its optimum he reigned with wisdom he was someone who really made israel great again when have we heard that expression let's make Israel great again but here we see it is not in a self-centered narcissistic politician it is not in someone who cannot think beyond himself but he will be the son of the most high he will have the throne of his father David the good king who would replace all the bad kings the fulfillment of promise the story of the bible that is his background that is who he is but then notice in verse 33 his permanence and he will reign over jacob's descendants that's us basically jacob's descendants and um, not just the jewish people but, but all people he will reign over them his kingdom will never end all political lives end in failure i think it was enoch powell said that all empires end in failure alexander the great was great he wasn't alexander the quite good he was alexander the great and yet his empire crashed the roman empire well we see traces of it in hadrian's walls and one or two long roads that can be seen from helicopters from a great height we can see the ruins of the roman empire even go to rome and see the Colosseum in all its wonder and yet it's a ruin empires are ultimately empires of dust but the kingdom of god will never fail Even the great empires of the West just now, the USA, will one day fall, it will crash, communism crashed. They all end up the same way. But this empire will last forever and ever and ever. And it's a kingdom which is in progress now and which will continue right on to the end of time and right beyond the end of time now notice verse 34 mary doesn't mock this how will this be since i am a virgin this is beyond her it's literally inconceivable this is impossible but that's central in our faith the impossible becomes possible that which is beyond human computation is made real it is not that faith and the things of god are anti-science they are beyond science god takes them to a new level how this happens the mechanics are unknown verse 35 is delicately put the holy spirit will come on you and the power of the most high will overshadow you Up until this time, no one, no thing had ever been conceived according to this pattern, but God bypassed the normal. The whole soiled and weary universe quivered uh, at this injection of essential life. This was new, this was direct, uh, uncontaminated. Um, it wasn't drained uh, through all the crowded history of nature. This was an outside intervention because mankind could not save himself. We, we've seen great, great people. You read about Mandela, you, you read about mother teresa you read about people who do just selfless things but they they're all flawed intervention had to come from outside that's how it had to be a a virgin birth that had to come as it were uh, from another realm from heaven itself because this universe was tainted and it matters now how does it matter? Let's let's conclude this and let, let's put our cards on the table. How does the virgin birth matter? Well, if it's untrue, we have, according to the terms of the New Testament, an immoral woman gives birth to a liar. <laughs> if it's untrue, Jesus is a con artist who's not to be trusted. The integrity of the whole gospel, the integrity of this book, the integrity of of Jesus is in question if the virgin birth is not true. It's at, as MacLeod says, the very gatepost of our faith and of history. And it matters because it establishes the identity of Jesus. Larry King, the CNN talk show, Host, who's now, I think, uh, retired, he was asked who he would want to interview of all the characters of history, and he said, without question, it would be Jesus Christ. And the interviewer asked King, What would you ask him? And King said, I would ask him if he was indeed virgin born. The answer to that would define history for me i wonder does it define history for you are are you asking the question and and the questions behind the questions who is this jesus who is our obsession who is this jesus who is the light of the world and the one who gives hope in this dark world if it were two human parents he would be just like us but the virgin birth gives us this unique combination of God and man, deity and humanity in one person. Now notice Mary's response, verse 38. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Her only part was to say yes to God. And really that defines faith. Faith is not about doing more. Faith is simply saying yes to God. That's the mistake of religion. The mistake of religion is doing more. Faith, however, is saying yes to God. Folks, there's hope today. O holy child of Bethlehem, descend in us, we pray. Cast out our sins and enter in be born to us this day. We hear the Christmas angels, the great glad tidings tell. Oh, come to us, abide with us, O Lord, Emmanuel. Gandalf has not come. <laughs> A greater than one, he has come. Jesus, who has given us hope folks may you enjoy hope today in this second sunday of advent may you enjoy hope for the rest of your life